Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, and trust me, there's a lot of it. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we're experts on teens. Yes, that's actually a thing. We've worked as college admission officers, prep school administrators, and have coached and mentored thousands of teens in our lifetimes. When it comes to teens, we've seen it all. Teens can be wild and wonderful all at once, but they can also frustrate the hell out of you. The good news is that we speak teen. So join us every week as we drop knowledge and interview teens and other experts to help you gain valuable insight into your teenager's world. Because parenting is hard AF, but we've got your back. All right, everyone. Uh, Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Meredith. How are you? I'm great. Um, So I'm so very excited uh, for our first topic today. For two reasons. One, it's really important. We're going to talk today about mental health um, in adolescents and young adults and specifically kind of paying attention to what parents should think about in terms of red flags or warning Mm -hmm. signs. But I am so excited to introduce our very, very special guest. She is my best friend. I thought I was your best friend. She is, hold on, you're (laughs) the moon to my stars, the light of my life. Hey, everybody. Uh, wait, Christina are going to have to fight now. No fighting. No fighting, please. <laughs> please, everyone. Meredith can have more than one best friend. I guess that's fine. That's I, that's uh, you're, you're messing up my I'm sorry. intro. Go ahead. Keep going. Good Lord. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. Have some water. <laughs> um, so yes, my best friend, Christina is here. Christina, uh, Perez, Perez, for those of you who. I want to say it properly. Um, and Christina and I have known each other since I was three years old. Christina <laughs> can tell you the story about when I broke my leg and she heard me crying across the playground. Um, she is the smartest, most wonderful human ever. And she also happens to be an extremely experienced uh, therapist. So Christina is a licensed clinical social worker. She's been working in different kinds of mental health settings for well over a decade, which is weird because you're so young and youthful. (laughs) Um, And she's worked in community mental health and inpatient um, settings and a competitive kind of high octane high school in California. And now she is at the University of Southern California in their... Uh, doing a lot of crisis mental health in their community health center on campus. So she is sort of perfectly poised to speak to this topic today because she has a ton of experience with young adults and adolescents and interfacing with parents and families and the whole system. So Christina, hi, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for that introduction. Thank you. And she's so pretty. Y'all can't see her, but she is very, she's, she's, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful on the inside and outside. It's so nice. I need to keep you both in my pocket all day long. (laughs) (laughs) What's up, girl? How are you? I'm, I'm well. Thank you. I'm doing very well. Christina, I just gave a little high level introduction, but why don't you share a little bit more about your background and just tell the people what we should know about you. Uh Okay. Well, there's a lot to know <laughs> for this, um, what we're talking about today. You know, I am from Southern California, and in my college years, I attended the University of San Francisco. 
um, had plans for to be a journalist, had plans to be an attorney, but definitely delved into jobs and even college experiences that really brought me to mental health, mm-hmm. where I wanted to, you know, help people, help heal, um, help with recovery. I um, had these experiences, real awesome opportunities to work with um, people who were living with trauma. And I wanted to learn more. Um, I also wanted to do it in a way that was social justice oriented, um, not just as a clinician, but had that gist of advocacy. So, um, and I've had mentors in my life, including my mother, um, who were social workers. So I wanted the clinical tip, but I also wanted the advocacy and the, and, and the legal understanding. So I delved into uh, school of social work went back to school at the University of Southern California, um, where I gained my master's degree. And again, was was not sure where I'd land. I certainly didn't think I'd be working with um, university level students or even in schools. Um, But, you know, my path took me that way. So I definitely was in community mental health, loved it. It was hard work. It was important work. Um, I met some amazing clinicians, uh, doctors, nurses, uh, same when I was working inpatient in behavioral health units with really acute uh, crises situations. I went to USC for about four or five years where I, um, where I was working in student counseling and really loved it and really saw the necessity for it. Then I went to the high school level I love that tremendously. It had a beautiful place in my life where I was working more so like when you're working with minors, you're not just working with the student, you're working with families, you're working with systems, you're working with teachers and administrators and um, creating programming. And I taught and there was a lot of education and and, um, experience that was really special to me. And now I am working at USC again, I returned, where I'm um, definitely on a, an amazing team of clinicians, um, generalists, psychiatrists, nurses. Um, we are in a health center, so there's a lot of collaborative work I do, work with a lot of campus partners. I can explain what that means on campus. But again, even at this level where people are 18 and older generally, I still do very much work with families spouses, um, important people, people's lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming out of the pandemic, rolling into a different kind of crisis, um, we are definitely anecdotally, but also nationally and internationally noticing a different kind of mental health crisis. So Mm. it's important work. It's work I'm very passionate about. Um, I love it. It's hard. Um, you're so good at it. I mean, I've, I, I mean, First of all, the badassery meter reads so high with Christina. Um, she's sort of been there and done it all. Mm-hmm. I know I've personally benefited from her wisdom and expertise for decades. I feel like I, I feel like I have by osmosis. Yeah, you probably have, and and her mother, by the way. Um, and it's such, it's just such. I'm so glad that you sort of drew attention to some of the trends we're seeing post pandemic, which I think 
frankly, we were seeing pre-pandemic, the mm-hmm. sort of increase in anxiety and depression in, mm-hmm. you know, disordered behavior, dysregulated behavior in adolescence. And by adolescence, just as a reminder, everybody, by adolescence, we're talking about, you know, kind of onset puberty age into, you know, mid-20s. Yep. That's sort of the the age range that we're kind of referring to. And all of those indicators of mental sort of regulation and wellness were have been suffering in that age population for, I think, a really long time. And and will continue to. And will continue to. And that's mm-hmm. probably another 13 episodes about why. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that we, you and me, Kathy, encountered the most in school settings, and Christina, I know when you were in the high school setting, this this happened all the time to you as well, is when we run into situations with families where you know, we all kind of know that something's not going great in a student's life. Like there, there's some behavioral change or some mood change, but the family isn't sure if this is just sort of temporary or needs a greater type of attention. So from your experience and perspective, when you're thinking about talking to parents, like what are some of the signs that parents should really be paying attention to that says like, yeah, my kid needs like help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really good question and um, easy and complex question, but you know, I think it's important to frame that it is normal, healthy to have, have episodes of highs and lows, you know, and I, I think parents can agree on that one. And especially when we can pinpoint, well, you know, there was a disappointment. There was an end of a friendship. There was, you know, um, a a poor performance or even chronic uh, poor performance academically. And they've never struggled like this before when they were in eighth grade, seventh grade, sixth grade, what's happening in high school. So I think when we can pinpoint and we have explanations, boy, does that almost feel we're leaving, right? But when we are kind of trying to struggle with, well, what do they have to be upset about? That's when I help parents kind of refrain and also look at, well, why are you worried? You know, like I'm listening to you. It's important enough where you're coming to me. But it's also, I'm going to preface this as well, you know, responses can change also. Like my kid used to be the kid who told me everything. Now they're going inward. So, but we have to investigate that. Um, Reactions can shift. Um, Stressors can change. They never were worried about school before. I'm like, yeah, but there was a transition and now they're, you know, we can kind of assess, we can investigate, right? But some really classic red flags, classic ones that we need to look at and really pay attention to is if there's a sudden and maybe rapid change Mm. in their behavior physical, um, even, um, their eating is changing, Mm -hmm. their mood is changing, they're isolating, um, their appearance, maybe their hygiene is changing, Mm -hmm. um, their performance, even like, and I'm not just talking about academically, like sports, uh, you know, whatever club or whatever interest, maybe they're losing interest, maybe anhedonia, they're losing interest in those passions that they used to have. You know, um, and, and it's important for me to state that these aren't necessarily only indicators of something mental health wise, but these could be things, indicators that are happening health wise. Right. right, it, it, right. These are just indicators. These are just indicators that something's up, that something's mm-hmm. not quite right. 
Okay. So we don't have to go to yeah. the place of, you know, oftentimes when parents would tell me about eating or their hair loss, or they're picking at their skin or things like that, I wouldn't necessarily say, let's go to mental health. I, I often would say, let's go check it out at the pediatrician first. Let's rule out some things. You know, it could be, there's such things as hypothyroidism. There's such things as, as hormonal changes. There's such, you know, there's a lot of explanations. The beauty of now is many pediatricians and physicians, even at the young adult level, uh, know to do surveys. You know, what, what's your mood like? Mm. They'll do um, those sort of things. And if they kind of indicate like even the high risk things, pediatricians will know and have the training now. Um, you know, this might be a good time to look at therapy. Mm -hmm. But some other telltale uh, signs are like self-harm. Yeah. Self-harm, like pay attention to that. Take that seriously. Cutting, burning, hitting myself, throwing objects, hitting objects, um, substance abuse, even mm -hmm. mismanagement of medication, even mismanagement of ibuprofen. Mm -hmm. But let's look at that. What's going on there? Um, the concerns, these concerns are persisting beyond two weeks. A week is enough for me, but two weeks, okay, these are indicators. And also that um, their general life is being interrupted, right? And also that you, other people, are observing and are concerned. And this is the one I highlight the most with parents and even with students. It's like you yourself, your child is telling you something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Take that take that note. They are telling you. Um, so those are some definite things, but there's definitely physical, behavioral, and emotional indicators. Um, Child Mind Institute, I really want to give them a big high bug. Yeah, they're great. Is a, a wonderful resource for parents, not just giving you um, information and, and what are the signs sort of thing, but also they do a beautiful job of education. They do a beautiful job of referring parents mm. to treatment, even like neurological testing or psychosocial testing, that sort of thing. So mm. they're great. Awesome. I'm wondering, so these are some of the classic signs, right? These are the, the big kind of obvious red flags that we see if, you know, we've all worked in schools that when we see a kid just change, we're like, oh, this is, this mm -hmm. is something's, something's up, right? Like, like you said, like something's up and we need to look at this a little bit more carefully. What about those not so subtle signs? Because mm. I think that that's really important to talk about as well. Um, because I think as a parent, like, I think I'll speak for myself. I often hear parents say like, I don't know, she she seems to be performing like really well. She's doing great. Like her grades are great. She. Yeah. They use grades as a proxy for right. wellness. Right. Right. Like her grades are perfect and she's, you know, doing, she's playing lacrosse and everything's going great, but I don't know something. I don't know. Like, you know, there's, they just have like a little spidey sense, something that's yeah. not quite right. So how do you, how do you parse that out as a parent? Well, I would, I would trust what is that gut about, you know, and, and I think you're right. I think um, there was a time where kids would go under the radar because they were performing well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They still do. Mm -hmm. They still do. I'm not going to say it's long and gone, but like something is telling you that something's not right. 
you know, and, and the one thing that I would kind of encourage, and, and again, I, I think this is tricky because it depends on your relationship with your child, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in general terms, you know, I would kind of help parents attend to, I'm just going to call it maybe an anxiety or a fear. What if I say the wrong thing? Mm. What if I'm, what if I'm um, jumping the gun? What if I, you know, all these what ifs. And I know that comes from a place of like concern and fear and anxiety, right? So I kind of help them have that conversation. And maybe this is a practice that they could do on their own of what's my gut telling me? What's my gut telling me? And, you know, what if I came, and I've heard you say this in your previous podcasts, um, even when you were talking with Sophie, of what she really could have used parents or adults saying to her was coming using an approach of curiosity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I, man, I'm noticing you're doing great at lacrosse and, and school seems great. Um, and yet, you know, I wonder, are you happy? Mm-hmm. I wonder, I wonder, you know, how are things going with your friends and not in a prying way, but if you're truly and, and steadily having a conversation, if it's a, a, you're in the car, if you're getting coffee, if you're, you know, you're gently easing in and you're coming from a place of curiosity and not intrusion, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know, getting, getting to know that something's up, well, mom, everything's fine. Okay. And, but have in your mind, well, because last night, you know, at dinner, um, you were really quiet, like having examples, Mm -hmm coming from, you know, and can you tell me a little bit about that? And I know sometimes that only takes you so far, but you're also opening up a door of like, I'm observing, Mm -hmm. I'm observing and you're important. And that's why I'm bringing it up. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing is like, do they have other adults that they trust that they can confide in? Um, And also, because it it is a village, like even with my own children, it, it totally takes a village. And i would hope that my kids, if they don't feel comfortable coming to me, can go to other people and not because I'm trying to get in their business, <laughs> but it, it, it is helpful when I have trusted folks around me, teachers, um, school counselors, other observers. Do you notice anything different? I'm a little worried or I, I'm, you know, you know, kind of having that. Absolutely. I think that's so important. That's huge. It's a network because we all yeah. see students in isolated contexts. And so when you're trying to get a fuller picture, you need to explore and investigate all the puzzle pieces. Okay, I'm, I'm noticing something at home. Right. What's happening at school? Well, let me talk to their baseball coach. Yep. Let me get all of the different sort of angles covered. And that actually raises something for me that I ran into quite a bit when I worked in schools more than, and, and I when I was newer and younger, I had a lot of, frustration about it. But as I ran into it more, I began to sort of see it with greater compassion. And this is resistance from parents to maybe accept that something is happening. Mm -hmm. So for example, I, you know, I've worked with a number of students who've expressed suicidal ideation over the years or who have disclosed harm oriented behavior And that's very serious and, you know, obviously something that I take very seriously and often, not always, but often this wasn't coming out of the blue. This was a student who maybe had been struggling in other ways for a while or who maybe was already utilizing therapeutic resources 
And so when, when I would bring that to the parents' attention, which is obviously my responsibility as a dean, as a dean of students, whatever, as you know, in my role in, as an educator, I could often, not often, but enough times be met with the, they're trying to get attention. This is something mm-hmm. that they do. Yeah. This is like, uh, that happened right. last year. It's, it's no beca- big deal. It's because of- Their friends. It's because- Their friends are, their friends are- depressed right now. So right. she thinks she's depressed. Right. Too. It's that. kind of like yeah. contagious. Right. You know, and it runs the spectrum. Right. Mm-hmm. And early on, I, I really, you know, that can be very challenging to get a student, a minor child help they need if the parents are not on board. And I began to have more compassion for sort of just the the tremendous fear that must be involved for parents to really face yeah. the reality of their children being unwell in a profound way and, and how you know, we all engage in denial in all kinds of ways. But anyway, so I ran into that a lot. I know you ran into that. Um, how did you work with that? Because I know that's something that you encountered. How do you work with resistance when, you know, in your gut, you know, a kid needs a little bit more help, but you're, you're kind of running into mm-hmm. these barriers. Or if you have a parent, like if a parent's listening right now and they're like, oh yeah, that's me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like right. I feel very, like I have a lot of feelings about mental health and yeah, um, maybe not positive, right? Like, right, maybe it, have a different relationship to like therapy exactly. or mental health, right? I, I'm Chinese American, and I I promise you, I told my family that <laughs> I was like I've been in therapy for like a decade, and they're like, "Why are you crazy?" Like you know, yeah, like their response yeah. is like, "Are you a crazy person? Why would you go to right. therapy?" Like normal right. people don't do that, right? So how do you just even you know as a parent start? reckoning with your own beliefs about mm. mental health in order to support best support your child. You asked that question so much better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> what she said, Christina. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's important to know what the resistance is about mm. and to also normalize it. You know, is this about um I'm scared, I feel helpless. I feel like you are telling me I don't know my child mm-hmm. uh, or, um, you know, I'm a bad parent. I did this. I'm a bad parent. I, I failed. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, and understanding what the resistance is about. It's, it's pretty important. And then we can go from there. Cause like, also what does this mean? You know, uh, I think it's very important to have that wisdom and that compassion um, that you're approaching someone about their child, period. It could be about a C they got in class. It could be about something, but it is personal. This is hmm. my offshoot. This is a, this is a, a piece of me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also like, I think oftentimes when I would approach this with parents, yeah, there was a little piece of stigma, even though they're like, oh, but I've been to therapy, but not my child, you know? And like you said, Kathy, there's definitely um, cultural um, considerations. And I don't just mean ethnically. Mm -hmm. I mean, like there was even concern about in our community, you know, is this going to get out? I remember so many parents coming to me, like, is this going to be, become public? Mm -hmm. It is, um, are we going to send our kid to a inpatient or eating disorder clinic or substance abuse or intensive outpatient program? And then the whole community will know. And then our, you know, there were all these huge concerns. So it's important to like meet the, the, the parent where they're at. What is the resistance about? What is the concern about? And, and then acknowledging it 
And then also seeing that we're talking about issues of safety. We're talking about that being a priority um, along with health and mental health. Mm-hmm. And as we know, especially educators now, and there's so much information and evidence supporting PACT that things are not siloed. Right. That 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 academic performance is going to impact mental health. Mm-hmm. This is going to impact that. The head does not sever at the neck. It's mm-hmm. connected to the body. So to to kind of give some psychoeducation to parents, and, and again, we're talking about um, approaching things with curiosity and informing them of the resources that are available and to normalize the fact that, you know, this is going to help in the long run, not just in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I also attend to that, well, you know, that's just how she expresses herself. Well, I'm concerned about that expression of Mm -hmm. if I don't, then I'm going to kill myself Mm -hmm. or I go to the place of Mm self-loathing. And, and even when I would go and talk to students, you know, still currently, I'm like, when you, when I know that's your language, because it's actually something we're observing is um, when a student comes in uh, to see me in a crisis or walk in or whatever it is, they do have to complete a survey. And oftentimes the surveys really mark high, 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 high risk. Mm-hmm. And when I go in to assess them, there's no method, there's no intent, mm-hmm. there's, but this is the language I'm using to express myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I do feel like I want to die. I'm not going to kill myself, but I'm at this level 10. Mm. And so when I go to talk with students, even 25 above, you know, you're giving me language of stress. You're giving me language that tells me that you're in severe pain and it was important enough for you to come to me. Like, and if you think about it, kids coming to a parent, you came to me. Right. What would be most important right now? Keeping you safe, having someone to talk to, mobilizing support. You don't know where else to go, you know? And letting them know that you don't have to be in pain. We can mobilize the support and we can, the prognosis is good if you get help immediately. That's something I also tell students and parents, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so important. Yes. So, so important. important. I love the the point about, you know, this is about your safety, yeah. right? Like I tell parents to give that message when their kids are resistant to getting help. And, you know, I'm sure you've encountered many young, young adults, teenagers, and adolescents who've not wanted to admit that they need more help because they, they feel stigma around um, getting counseling or going into Mm -hmm. an outpatient or inpatient program. Right. And so Meredith and I were actually talking about this earlier. Like when do you, when as a parent, do you need to just like drop the hammer and be like, you know what? too bad. Yeah. <laughs> this like, is what's happening. Cause well, I think they want buy-in and sometimes they want buy-in, just... you know, they want, yeah. Like, or like something's not working. Like you've been trying a intervention therapy, therapeutic, and it's not working. Right. Where do you, at what point do you just drop the hammer and say, no, this is the, we're, we're like elevating it to the next level. And this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And how do you have that conversation with a kid? And how do you know as a parent that that's the right thing to do? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think it's, it's, well, especially if they're a minor, it's valuable to have um, consultation with their treatment team mm-hmm. and share what you're seeing at home and what you're hearing from school and, and all the systems. 
and say, you know, I'm really concerned. And, and you might hear the same concern and then talk about the options and review. You can definitely present it as a conversation if appropriate with the student. But I think it's clear if we try these interventions and it did not work, we need to try something else. I think that's the hammer. I think um, another hammer is just like your safety. We're not playing with that. We're doing this now. Mm-hmm. Um, it does get right. a little trickier when they're uh, legal adults. Yep. Yeah. But there are ways to, to and I, I've had these conversations at the university level of like, well, what do I tell them? I said, well, there's a few options. Like one is what do you want to say? What do you, what is the point that you really want to be able to say? I love you. I'm scared for your safety. I'm, I'm concerned that this used to be important and it no, it no longer is. I feel like you're not, you're not you at the moment, like use the language that you want, but I think the hammer comes down when as a parent, you are concerned about their safety and, or their functioning and mobilizing. I know this depends on your university, mobilizing the campus supports necessary to get them connected. I want to underscore something that I think you're, that we've been saying this whole time, that's sort of self-evident, but I think bears highlighting, which is that parents, when you're encountering this, challenge or where you're having a lot of curiosity and worry about your child, it's not anyone's expectation that you should figure all of that out by yourself, that there's a universe of people, whether that's high school counselors, trusted teachers and advisors, um, your doctor, your pediatrician, Mm -hmm. your own therapist, um, maybe your child's therapist, if they're already in therapy, that it's really important when you're in that moment of what do I do and I am worried and I'm a little scared to that is the moment to reach out to that treatment team and get the wisdom of experts who see this stuff all the time, right? It's mm-hmm. it's sort of like with us in college counseling, you know, if a, if a parent is going through the college counseling process and it's their one and only child going through the process, lots of things feel scary and mysterious in a way that to Kathy and I aren't because we've seen it 5,000 times, right? And same with, you know, there's things that will cross your desk that, you know, you've just frankly seen a thousand times and dealt with. Yeah. And, you know, I know I'm speaking in very general broad strokes because I'm doing that kind of with intention because every situation is different, right? Mm -hmm. Every situation is unique and different, but I think it, to your point, I think it is really helpful that I'm able to come in and use language and be transparent and directive and saying and moving the ball along change. It is helpful Mm. to hear, okay, so mom's not just blowing this out of proportion or grandma or whoever it is in your life. I think you're absolutely correct. And that's why uh, even high schools are having the movement of more mental health counselors on campuses, even at the public level, because it takes a village and it takes expertise and it takes support. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's something that I wanted to touch on. I, I mean, I feel like this could be an entire separate episode, but one of the She's things. She's coming back. <laughs> but because it could fill several episodes and it's something that we see a lot in the area. I mean, we see it a lot. It's all over the country, but we're, we live in Silicon Valley and you know, there was a, a spate of student suicides, you know, a few years back. 
and there's been a recent one at Stanford, a very, you know, prominent one because she was a soccer player and she seemed like everything was going great for her. And, you know, it's this idea of around perfectionism, Mm. right? And a lot of these kids who have sadly taken their lives in our area in schools, you know, five miles from where we're, we're sitting right now, they they were very high achieving students. And if you ask the parents, everybody's like, oh, you know, again, this is to my early point, things were going great. Like, and I see this a lot, like perfectionist kids really suffering, right? So how do we like, how do we change that, Christina? (laughs) Can you just fix the culture? Fix the culture, Christina. you know, like it's such a big topic. I know we're not going to solve it yeah. in like five minutes, but like I would just be curious about your thoughts as yeah, having the experience that you have yeah. and working yeah. with news that you have. Like, what do you what do you think needs to shift around this culture? And also seeing how those kids perform or don't perform once they transition out of high school into, into college. Into college, right? Right. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of things. I mean, one is examining. It's like examining expectations, um, internal, external ones coming at students, recognizing um, that sometimes um, it's very rigid. Mm. It's um, very linear. I have to do it this way. And especially if you did it this way for so long and was high achieving for so long, and then you come into a different kind of academic setting, you go to a different, you go to a university from the tiny high school you came from or uh, vice versa and things don't play out the way you want. And also, I, I also want to say preparing our children early on to launch into the world. And if you ask me at what age, I'd say now, and, but my baby's a baby. That's what I mean now. You know, really invest love, care, consistency, health care into your child also start to get them to understand that they can mess up, fall on their face and get up, mm-hmm. teach them resiliency. Yes. Listen to our episode on letting your kids fail, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to say that is a health and mental health thing. Intervention is letting your children fail and also harnessing your own anxiety when that happens and helping them understand how to triumph over disappointment. I mean, this this is this relates to procrastinate or not procrastinate that too, but um, perfectionism. Yeah. Perfectionism because I have to do it this way, and if I don't, the world is over. It's very black and white thinking, um, which is also related mm-hmm. to suicide, right? It, you know, it has to be this way. My world is the catastrophic thinking. My life is over. I'm in trouble. There's no way out. Um, so teaching our children how to navigate adversity, teaching them that there's more than one way mm-hmm. to succeed mm-hmm. and also having expectations of what is success. Mm-hmm. You know, is it, you know, having the CEO job, sacrificing happiness or, you know, is it um, my child's healthy, thriving, a good citizen, has value system and is actually a self-sustainable you know, mm-hmm. so, and I think it's also important, and, and I, I hit this at the college level, sometimes students and parents um, and guardians aren't aware of what the options are. Mm. So when I have a student in crisis, I, I dug myself a hole, 
my life is over. I'm like, you know that you could take a leave of absence, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know that you go to your, your academic counselor and see what are my options, right? Oftentimes I'm met with what? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Right. Or did you know that you can advocate for yourself? Um, also expectations is an expectation thing. I emailed my professor an hour ago and they have not responded. My life is over. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, chances are, <laughs> chances are they haven't read the email yet. You know, did you talk to my dad before this episode? <laughs> chances are. So it's like, again, relaxing that rigidity. Yeah. But, you know, again, this, this takes a village. But again, um, I think it's so incredibly helpful when it happens early on when we're teaching these things uh, and, and honing expectations. And, you know, to the, to the soccer player, my, my deepest sympathies to the family and to the community impacted completely. And in the interview with mom and dad, which I think was just so brave, I think they had some indicators. There were some indicators there that they named. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation at university and even lower level about like when to step in. I think also informing students of like what a process looks like to resolve an issue. Because I think there there were some things inferred in that case. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm really informing, not just during orientation, but ongoing about your resources of support. I didn't see the interview. I've only read articles about it. Would you mind sharing a couple of the indicators that you thought like that would have like raised a little question mark for me? Well, you know, I think, um, I think it was a little tricky. And again, I wasn't there to ask more questions. I I would have asked more questions, but I think there was a, a note, it was alluded that they thought she might've been in some kind of trouble. Right, mm-hmm. right, 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 right. And she sounded chipper. She sounded all right. No, mom, I got it. I'm good. And then unfortunately she was not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think I would have been curious with mom of like, did you, did, did anything else come up in that? Like it is a big deal to sign, kind of have a judicial issue at college you know, where you, I am not blaming mother at all. Please don't take this as that. But that would have been a time where I really would have been checking in with my kid a lot because they have meetings they have to attend to. They have, they hear big words that they have to swallow. They hear the risk is you might have some judicial ramification, suspension. And I think for someone who's so high achieving, that would be really terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think um, those would have been some indicators to me of like, okay, can I come up and visit you? Um, How are you doing? Are you eating? How's that going? Um, Again, I don't have all, I absolutely Mm -hmm. do not have all the information, but that was, I would, I would say that that would have been a very high stress situation for someone who was so high performing Mm -hmm. at her level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it will definitely include in our podcast notes, resources, mm-hmm. hotline, to, you know, crisis text lines, things that we like, because we want to make sure that we we leave folks with resources and that you can share them with your children. Um, I used to make my students put them in their phones. But I'm curious, as we think about this transition to college 
and you, you, you hit on that idea of a lot of families and a lot of students, they just don't know what's available to them. So what would be some of the the kinds of resources, and I know they vary campus to campus, that you would want, you know, your own children to be aware of and know about. And especially if, say, for example, you had a student who had maybe an, you know, a depressive episode during high school and they're kind of doing pretty well, but now they're transitioning to this more independent Mm -hmm. environment. You know, what are some of the proactive ways that a parent can sort of best support their child's mental health as they transition to college? Mm -hmm. Again, even before we're applying to colleges, um, I think it's getting them into the practice of asking for help Mm. and when, and what are the things that, you know, like, you know, you seem sleepy, you seem sick. So, you know, who would you go to for that? Like kind of walking through those things, where could you, who would you go to for that? Also getting them into the practice of um, making their own appointments. This might sound silly. But yes, you better, you better <laughs> you know, preach. <laughs> oh my God. Like, no, no, it, this is big. Like, I feel so strongly. I'm like, you know, working with 20 year olds who can't like, they don't know where their health insurance card is. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think it, you're starting to orient them. Okay. You're not dropping them on their butts, but getting them into the practice while you're still in the background. So this is in high school, like dental appointments. Okay. Look at your schedule. When can you do this? What is your health, your, your medical card look like? Um, what are these numbers mean? Um, what's my social security number? Like there are these things that we need to orient them to so that, cause I definitely have students who did not know how to do these things and it would, really would have been helpful. And even to the point of getting their refills before they go to school, mm-hmm. getting certain assessments done mm-hmm. before they go to school, especially if you have a, an understanding that they might need accommodations, yeah. but the testing was done when they were four. No, we need to redo those. Yeah. yeah. So preparing them for those things, but also sitting down with them, you know, like you would at looking at a website of like, okay, what does this school bring? Mm-hmm. Okay. An amazing, an amazing English department. Fantastic. Cause you want to be a writer. You know, but also let's look at um, the student services, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the health center uh, that you could get dental care there. Um, they have a counseling center. And how does that counseling center work? And typically, generally speaking, in this country, there is some kind of mental health. It might not be a full blown clinic, but there is at least folks on staff mm-hmm. who can assess, who know how to refer. There might be a um, 24 hour. Um, after hours uh, crisis line, you can call mm-hmm. even if you're homesick and also saying like for whatever, it's the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Truly, we, it's I'm homesick. I, my stomach doesn't feel good and, and um, or I'm having a psychotic break or the roommates call it because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm having thoughts of hopelessness. I had a, my first major disappointment today. Also, looking at not just mental health health, but because this impacts all that as well. It's like, okay, so I'm a person of faith, but I'm going to a university that that is non-religious, but you still might have an office of religious life. You still might have access to things that like a gym and things that are holistic. Mm-hmm. Cause like, that's a part of the conversation too, of like, okay, um, you're, you're going to launch on your own. 
So you know what works for you when you get stressed. Mm -hmm. So let's make sure you're set up and you know where to go. You can discover and find new things, but let's make sure that you're set up even in the community because it doesn't have to be on your campus, but like outside of the campus, there's a ropes course you can take. But I think that is a big part of the orientation and preparation is knowing what campus resources are available. Yep, yep. No, that's great. I think that the transition is so scary, right? Because it's, you know, parents who are sending their kids to college, you know, they went to college a long time ago. Things have changed a lot. Their kids, you know, their kids are not them. I think it's just much more complicated. And it's so good. It's such a good reminder. I think in this episode, we've touched on so many times that your kids, you are part of a larger system, right? Like there is a larger network of support that is involved with raising a child, right? Like everybody's part of the system and that it's important. Or it would benefit you and your child to recognize and tap into that network. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it can be comforting to know that you're not alone, right? This is not, I think parents own it too much. Like this is all my responsibility. This is my fault or this, and that brings on shame and that makes it hard to reach out for help. But when you look at this, it's a whole system, right? That's raising child. It's it's a good way to be like, you know what? Everybody's a part of this conversation. Everybody can be a part of this conversation or help me figure this out. Yeah. And it is good for the parents to know, like at USC, we have this thing and I know other universities have it too, where we have a campus partner called Campus Support and Intervention. And they're kind of an, uh, an umbrella department that wasn't there when I first was at USC some years ago, but now it is. And it is such a wonderful resource for community members. You don't have to be a family member, but if I have a concern about a student, like I even had a physician of a student utilize it. They they make an anonymous or they can identify who they are report saying, I'm concerned about this student. This is why I'm their physician. And I, I have a suspicion that they're misusing their medication mm. and I want to make sure their safety. Can someone outreach them? Mm. Um, so it's wonderful. And, and so they outreach them and they appropriately, you know, connect them and, and highly recommend depending on what the issue is um, on how to get connected. So it helps. It's a net to help people get the services that they need. So it's good to know if there are things like that on campus. Mm -hmm. And even if there's not a dedicated department there, you know, I can go, I know who the res coordinator is at my son's dorm. Right. You know, I, and, and again, not to be checking incessantly, but like, you know, I think it's comforting for parents. I hear the relief in their voice where, okay, so I can let go now. I, I can, let my child independently fly, but have the, since I'm whoever, um, understanding that there are resources of support available. So I think that's also freeing to your point, Kathy, um, because that is a huge load to feel like I am solely responsible until you're 45. Yeah. (laughs) This is a great episode. Oh my God. I love Christina. I mean, Christina's... (laughs) The truth bombs being dropped right now are overwhelming. It's so, you're so good. I told you she's so good. She's the most amazing human ever. Oh, this is great. This is great. We're out of time, but we're probably bringing you back. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And I can't, next time I'm in in LA, we're going to go get ice cream together. 
Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think there's also so many great um, podcasts and things. So approaching things with curiosity, getting information and understand for parents, like you're not alone. Yeah. So, and podcasts like this are so helpful at demystifying things and, and challenging. So thank you for having me on. It's a nice chat. Oh my God. Thank you. Love you. <laughs> Thanks, Christina. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. If you like what you're hearing and you have friends with teenagers, please share it with one of them. You can check out this episode and others on our website, wespeakteen.com. And we want to know what you want to know. So if you have questions or hot topics that you want us to cover, email us at hello at wespeakteen.com.